Hey, we're glad you stopped by and are checking out the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Support for this episode comes from the Paragus Northwoods Company, located in Ely, Minnesota. Hey, this is Tom Roller here at Paragus Northwoods Company. It's fall up here in Ely, Minnesota. Great time to get out and paddle in the Boundary Waters for just a few more weeks before winter sets in, but we're busy here at the shop getting all our rental canoes ready for sale and also got our big used outfitting gear and equipment sale happening this fall through the end of the year. So come on by and visit us or give us a call to stock up on all that gear you need for the next season, next spring. Uh, We've got some great canoes available from uh, Winona and Northstar. Plenty of models left from our rental fleet. Brand new canoes built in 2019 that have only been used one season with great prices and they're in great shape. So give us a call and we can pick one out for you. This is Canoe Guy Tom here at Paragus Northwoods Company. We're proud to support the Boundary Waters in this podcast. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experience were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue. Come the northern lights Oh, and in the deep dark blue Come the northern lights Welcome to episode 22 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Baxley. And I'm Joe Fredericks. Joe Fredericks is sporting one of the favorite shirts that he wears, Stay Radical, And that's the kind of man I'm sitting in the WTIP studios with today for this amazing podcast. And what is more radical than the Boundary Waters? Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Wait a minute. Fishing in the Boundary Waters is, uh, well, that's one and the same, I guess. How about fishing in October? Yes. How about fishing in late September? I, I know you didn't get to come on this trip, Matthew Baxley. I wanted you to be able to come. Uh, just didn't work out schedule-wise for you to be on this uh, late September, last weekend of lake trout fishing. The season ends uh, September 30th for lake trout on inland lakes in here in northern Minnesota. What a trip it was, my friend. What a trip it was. <laughs> I'm, gl- I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to not have gone. I'm not, but I'm glad you had a great time, Joe. I did, and um, yes, it was a special, you know, that's uh, two years in a row now I've been in on this small little lake on the east end of the Boundary Waters that holds lake trout, and it's just a marvelous time. Um, I love that cold, the coming on of the cold. Well, I mean, it's no secret that that's how I feel about cold weather, but there's something about that crisp September-October change that's just invigorating. Mm -hmm. And up here, I mean... Uh, much more so than any other place I've ever lived. I love the change of the summer into fall up here. It's just amazing time. So glad to be up here. 
It really is. And, and I think, you know, you get all sorts of dynamics. You know, you get the, the changing water temperatures, the changing air temperatures, the way that the landscape and the forest is shifting. And, you know, all the, all the wilderness critters are doing, they're all doing the same thing. They're preparing for the hunker down. And it's a, it's a pretty frantic time, really, because the critters are all aware, as we are, that uh, things are changing. Well, remember last fall, you and I were out fishing in October and um, catching northerns on a lake right on the edge of the wilderness. The north shore of this lake is, is the Boundary Waters. And we had that bald eagle circling us. Yep. That bald eagle wanted to, I mean, it would be like when we'd hook a fish, he'd be zeroed in on it. In fact, you shot that classic footage of... Oh yeah, down from... it caught that that uh, northern didn't quite make it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that was so... beautiful. Yeah, they're really rearing up, mm-hmm. especially the eagles because they got to you know a lot of them are doing doing their migration. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they got to stock up on calories. And you know that's another great example. I mean, we were busting through ice in the morning and then paddling on a clear lake by late afternoon, and just the the conditions can be so dynamic. So with that in mind, for next episode. Um, in a November episode 23, uh, you and I are headed out here in the month of October and we're, we're going back. We're going back to the woods. Going to back record. to the, the, really the, the second episode of the podcast that we did in January, we're going to be retracing the, that path instead of on skis. We'll be in a trusty canoe, hopefully not breaking through ice on that trip, but anything's possible that time of year. And, uh, we'll be reporting on that again soon. And speaking of uh, fall and these uh, seasons and things that are seasonally happening, you know, with uh, regard to animal movements and behavior and so forth, uh, the Forest Service actually um, was planning a prescribed burn in the area, not to give away exactly where this honey hole lake trout of mine is, but, uh, well, there were two fires scheduled for this fall on the east end, uh, one near Duncan Lake, prescribed fire. That's not the lake I'm referring to in, on my trip, by the way. Uh, but this was a large fire of almost 6,000 acres they were planning to burn. And uh, another one south of there called the Lux Lake prescribed fire, about um, over, a little over 3,000 acres. And it was literally, they were planning to do this on the shore of the lake where we were going. And I spoke with some Forest Service staff, and they said, yeah, if you're in there, we're going to ask you to leave or you know, you wouldn't be able to get in. And wanted to find out even more. You know, we have a, a working relationship with, at the podcast here and uh, WTIP, the radio station where we record the podcast, with the Forest Service about uh, all kinds of news and information. And I um, spoke with Patty Johnson. She's the zone fire management officer for both the Gunflint and Tofty districts about being able to burn within, you know, set fires and do prescribed burns inside the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. And um, the Forest Service gets authorization to do that. I, I mean, it goes all the way through a chain of command in Washington and so forth. It's all specific to conditions. It's permissible to have a prescribed burn in the boundary waters in order to, I'm using quotes now, reduce an, to an acceptable level the risks and consequences of wildfire within the wilderness or escaping from the wilderness. And the conditions uh, met that for that middle gunflint trail area is it's pretty, you know, it's set up for a big wildfire should one erupt. So that's what the schedule was, but these got pushed back. The conditions were just too wet in there to burn, so they were delayed uh, or may might even be set to 2020. We can follow up on this uh, in episode 23. You know, I really appreciate that it's been a change. There is this ongoing shift in, in management practice from, you know, the very long 
established fire suppression model where we just suppress fires at all costs and think there's been a big shift from that to understanding that the forest needs to burn the forest ecology is designed to burn and and except if it's suppressed too long it's really detrimental if you want to learn more about that just check out the pagami creek fire you know that was a classic example but you know what happens when suppression goes on too long so if you want to learn more about that whole um process uh, i would even recommend checking out the outside podcast has a great series on fire suppression that features uh, one of the episodes the pagami creek fire in the boundary waters canary wilderness shout out to those guys are doing a great job with their podcast yeah also uh, we've got information about uh, some of the conditions that the forest service had to adhere to to do this they uh, you know use crosscut saws and other non-mechanized equipment to prep for the fire but then they did get some variances uh, to use you know chainsaws or pumps for water some motorboats to get into some of the areas there um, should they have started the fire so yeah, it's an interesting concept. It's, um, again, a lot of information, some interviews uh, that we've done on at WTIP about this, these specific fires even, a big meeting up at the Mid-Trail Fire Hall in, in August. So, Where should people go if they want to you know, learn more about uh, the station's coverage of that? Uh, I would just type into Google is the easiest way. Type WTIP prescribed fires, Gunflint Trail. Cool. It should pop up uh, pretty easily there. A couple different stories that we've done, so. A lot of great coverage. Yeah. Well, it's very specific to the season, too. Um, you know, they don't obviously, for, for lots of reasons, don't do that in the height of a user season in July and August. Uh, that's definitely something for the fall. Um, and, uh, you know, the fall is wrapping up. And great thing about today's episode is that the stories we're hearing are, are pretty timeless uh, for, for just about any season. Uh, we have up here at the top of the show... Uh, interview with Sid and Steph, and they're given a, a great story uh, that is about so many things connected to the wilderness, but kind of centers around an unexpected experience of love and everything that goes wrapped into love in the wilderness and and people's complexities as well as the wilderness's complexities. And you met them at the Midwest Mountaineering Show. I, I was uh, gone for a little bit on that Saturday. It would have been a Midwest Expo, Mountaineering Expo in Minneapolis and uh, back in the spring and I came back and you had that look on you like we've we've got a story we've we met you know like I know that look of you now when it's you've met someone who's going to be a great fit on the podcast and you were glowing with that when I came back yeah amazing people happy to have them on the episode today and uh second half our own podcast host Chelsea Lloyd she's back of course and uh she's got a great interview Matthew with an author musician uh, wilderness traveler, Minnesota through and through, Douglas Wood, uh, who is a, perhaps probably most well-known for his book, Old Turtle. Old Turtle. And when I mentioned that to you, who Douglas Wood was as we were uh, prepping for the episode today, and it was, you know, said, oh, the author of Old Turtle, you got goosebumps. You literally put your arms <laughs> on and said, I got major goosebumps right now. So you uh, know about that, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a, a great sort of like it's like a children's book, but mm-hmm. it's pretty timeless. I mean, I it's on my shelves. It's been for many years, and uh, I go back and listen to it, or listen to it, read it mm-hmm. uh, from time and again because it's just the message is great, and I'm really happy to hear from him on today's episode as well. What a, an amazing person to have uh, join the podcast today. And I think what you and I discovered as we were putting the show together today is how these two stories 
align um, on the surface. Maybe they they don't, you know, as you mm-hmm. as we've even just described them. They would see be seemingly unconnected, but um, it was great how they fit together. It's a great episode, and uh, so with that, let's jump right into your conversation with Sid and Steph. I am pleased to welcome to the podcast two friends that I met at the Midwest Mountaineering Outdoor Adventure Expo in Minneapolis, Minnesota this past spring. Uh, I would say that in some ways it was an unlikely encounter, but a very exciting one. Welcome to the studios. Thank Thank you. you. Uh, Could you please introduce yourselves to our podcast audience for all the people who have not yet gotten to know you. Um, my name is Steph Stovall. I am Sadiqa Shabazz. So, so excited to have you both here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've had some really fun conversations leading up to this, many about the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness specifically, mm-hmm. and uh, also many about who you are and how you came to fall in love with the wilderness, uh, <laughs> and also with each other. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to give it away. There's a love story woven into this interview today, and one that I'm excited to revisit with both of you. Uh, before we get into that story, would you mind uh, just giving a little overview about how each of you came to uh, know the wilderness area, specifically northern Minnesota and the Boundary Waters? Yeah. Well, um, for me, um, Sadiqa, <laughs> um, it was through work, actually. So I used to work with Pillsbury House Theater, and um, I ran the teen programming there for about the last five years. And the last two years um, in in the summer, after our summer camps are over, I would take teens out to the Boundary Waters to go um, like canoeing and, and, and camping for about... Uh, 10 days. And so my first introduction into the Boundary Waters was in 2017. I was supposed to go 2016, but I had a surgery, so I couldn't go then. Um, And so my first time was 2017. And it was magical. It was absolutely beautiful and amazing and breathtaking. And I was like, yes, I'm going back. (laughs) For sure, I'm going back. (laughs) So the the first component of this love story was falling in love with this place. Oh, 100%. It was something that I would have never done. I mean, I'm from Oakland, California originally, and I'm in Minneapolis, and I'm with kids who are city kids and POC kids. And so, um, and that's not something you see in the Boundary Waters a whole lot. At least I didn't when I was there. And um, it was something that, if I hadn't have gone on this trip um, through work, I would have never done it. I would have been like camping. Nope, not for me. Not my thing. And right. so it was just, I couldn't believe it. I was like, look at God. Like the whole mm. time mm-hmm. I was there because it was just so beautiful and amazing and peaceful. And it felt like, it like I felt like I was given life. It was amazing. I I think most people listening know that feeling. Yeah. Quick clarification of terms. Uh, We may occasionally use some terms or uh, acronyms that uh, people may not know, and I may ask us to define that. So POC, Mm -hmm. anybody doesn't know, what does that mean? Oh, people of color or person of color. Um, 
Yeah, that's it. So anyone who identify as a person of color. So that kind of puts what you were saying in context that that uh, that was something th that was a powerful element of your introduction and yeah. the introduction of the youth you were working with. Yeah, because all the youth that I took the first year were all like black, brown kids. There were like some native kids, um, African-American kids, Latinx kids and me. I'm African-American as well. And so we were just a group of PLC folks going into the wilderness for the first time ever, for the first time camping, period. Like we haven't even gone to a campsite in our lives beforehand or even now like the backyard of our homes. Right. So this was going to be new and we were about to be engulfed in this life of this this experience um, for 10 days. No phones, no electricity, no indoor plumbing. <laughs> I think full immersion is what that is. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And it was a magnificent. Never did a portage before. Not my favorite thing still. And so, well, I think a lot of people can relate to that too. <laughs> um, and so then you continue to come back. And we're, yeah. we'll get into more of that. Yeah, um, of course. So, Steffi? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know where to begin. Um, if I'm thinking back, I was on vacation from work. Um, for three years, I was working for an international nonprofit um, as a trek guide or trek manager. Um, and my job there was to lead groups into villages to build schools and keep them safe and alive and manage all the operations that went into that big job and I'd come back to the U.S. quite a bit through the throughout the year and I was also just looking for I was actually researching a solo trip that I would take for myself to like Utah and randomly saw this ad um, through big city mountaineers that they needed guides quick so um, I shot off an email with my resume and next thing you know a week later I'm flying out to Minnesota for the first time ever, and they're letting me lead a, an expedition with a group of young uh, females from the inner city of Minneapolis into the Boundary Waters. And so that's what brought me here. Um, I have a background in expedition guiding. I've led trips for companies from New York to Alaska to halfway around the world in Nepal, and... Um, it was something I was so excited about. I've never been, like I said, never been to Minnesota. So didn't know what to expect, but um, was thrilled to be able to ha be offered to do that. And uh, specifically, Big City Mountaineers, their mission is to get urban youth outdoors. And that's something that I am super excited about. And the population that they serve are the people I want to be around. So yeah, it was my vacation, but it was exactly what I wanted to do with my time. And I missed guiding in the U.S. I'd been spending all my time outside of the U.S. Um, and so I hadn't really gotten out into that wilderness um, for a long time. So it was an opportunity. And that's how I still see it was like this great opportunity to spend my time. That's so exciting. Uh, quick personal disclaimer, uh, I, and I, I know you know this, but I worked for Big City Mountaineers in Oakland when I lived in the Bay Area, hey. and mm -hmm. a fantastic organization, yes. doing great work. Um, 
really exciting. And and so when you know when I listen to when when we hear these these two stories, uh, already it's like okay, two people who on completely separate sort of life paths mm-hmm. in a lot of ways ending up mm-hmm. in the same wilderness, you know, sort of as adults for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, a lot of people are introduced to the the Boundary Waters, especially maybe maybe through a camp as a camper, or like like the folks that you're um, taking out. Maybe they go with an organization, or or maybe they, um, you know, it's a family history that is mm-hmm. take, taking them there. But you both ended up in the wilderness mm-hmm. for the first time in charge. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so that's kind of a wild idea. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds like it went it went really well. Yeah, one hundred percent. It was a great trip. <laughs> it was a great trip. Yeah. So was that? Were you both on the first trip? No. Okay. No, it was my second trip. So my second time into the Boundary Waters. So this was twenty eighteen, August of twenty eighteen. So in August twenty eighteen, we have uh, a couple of. Uh, guides mm-hmm. with very different backgrounds mm-hmm. who are meeting for the first time. And this is where we get to kind of talk maybe a little bit about how that love story started to <laughs> unfold. Mm-hmm. And it's a love, it's, it's great because this is a love story about, you know, the love of wilderness and the love between people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, you know, where do you want to start that story? I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> the beginning. <laughs> Um, well, I don't know. When we first met, to be honest, um, I did not care for Steph at all, really. So um, we talked over the phone before a meeting. I had just come off of another camping trip, actually, um, with um, Wilderness Inquiry, and we were along the St. Croix River. And so I just came off from there. I had literally about two days at home, and then I'm off to the Boundary Waters. And um, we spoke over the phone the day before we met. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I wasn't the nicest of people. <laughs> you were you were fine. Uh, you just had a lot of things to say about um, what we weren't going to do and what we could do. And I let you just kind of tell me, and that was fine, um, until we got to the part about... You know, mm-hmm. it was fine. You were telling me we weren't going to play a lot of games. It was fine. You were telling me we wouldn't have these long meetings and make the kids do X, Y, and Z. And I was in full agreement until you got to the part where you said that you didn't want to do many portages. <laughs> and I just kind of looked at my phone for a minute. And I'm like, hmm, well, Miss Sadika, I cannot make portages disappear off a of map. Mm-hmm. And that was our first disagreement, in my opinion. And, uh, and you're yeah. talking in regards to kind of co-planning this trip, right? Yes, yeah. because the the thing is, I'm hired to do the guiding aspect of it, and Sadika is is like that important element that goes into Big City Mountaineers' mission, where the youth worker, the the person who knows the students the best, are coming with them, mm-hmm. and without that support, I I just don't know if we would have had such an amazing trip. I as much as our, our beginning was rocky, mm-hmm. I still knew that coming into it, I, I needed to listen to you and what you had to offer because that was going to be our point of success. Mm-hmm. You knew these kids. You know these kids. Yeah. And that's a, a, a huge point of um, having a successful trip mm-hmm. is it being designed relationally, in my opinion especially, um, mm-hmm. where 
you know, if you think about sort of the old uh, methods of like wilderness therapy was like, and I know you're not doing specifically wilderness therapy, but it's like take kids in the wilderness, make them suffer, yeah. you know, teach them character. And I think you know we've learned that 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 actually it's about um, creating a lot of um, room in the wilderness to feel safe enough to experience awe and wonder, to oh, experience yeah. beauty, to experience the magic. And it sounds like from everything you're saying. That's what happened. Mm -hmm. So tell us how it unfolded. Well, beyond that, okay, so I want to point us to the moment that I'm meeting Sadiqa. And, um, you know, what you just said was something I came in with, that kind of understanding that it's not about what I think is going to make a successful trip. It's going to be how we all embed ourselves into it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I come to my profession with. And so I learned about this later, but right before I met Sadika, Sadika is sitting in the van. I'm standing outside the van waving at everybody. Mm-hmm. And inside that van, Sadika is giving a pep talk to her kids. Yeah. Well, you know, again, this is our first, well, this would be now their first time um, camping like this. So before this, um, like I said, like two days before I was along the St. Croix River and most of these kids came. But that was easy in comparison. Like we didn't have to portage. We were staying at national parks. Um, We had food enough for like fresh food. There was electricity at the bathrooms that they had there. Easy peasy. (laughs) This one, though, it was none of that. It was the opposite of all of that, you know. And so um, I just knew that they were a bit afraid. Um, We're in a place, again, where there's no electricity, so they can't charge their phones. They're not on their phones. They're not calling their friends. There's no reception. You know, none of it. It's like, this is us. We just have to be here and be human and be together. Mm. And... um, So before getting out of the van, I just gave them like just a pep talk like, you know, this is we belong here. We this is how we've lived before, before all of the like uh, um, architecture, before all of the houses and everything like that. This is how we lived. We belong here. We helped build this country. We are we have our place here. And so therefore, we are not to be afraid. We are going to go and be there. We are all strong. We are a strong POC women. And we need to show that we have a place here. We have agency. So we're going to go out there and we're going to do it. And then they were like, yeah, like Mighty Ducks moment. (laughs) But, you know, in the Boundary Waters. In the Boundary Waters. In the Boundary Waters. (laughs) You know, I, I really appreciate that that message Mm. and it's a i feel like that's something that i couldn't say Mm -hmm. you know because that's you know you that's not my relationship with you know if i would like to step in as a guide like Mm -hmm. and maybe you feel that same way too steph like you have to be able to feel that Mm -hmm. like deep down and it sounds like you do yeah well 100 percent. i think that we all belong here right Mm -hmm. everyone in the world belongs where they are in the world belongs to 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 that to just belong where they are i mean it's 
I'm saying the same thing. So, like, we are Americans, so we belong in every space here in America, for example, you know. So we shouldn't have to feel afraid or feel like this isn't for me because of my ethnicity, because we've always seen, like, white people always do it, always camping, doing this, that, and the third, you know. And it's like, no, we can do this, too. Mm -hmm. There are some things... In this world, well, I remember growing up, it was always like, oh, black people don't do that. Oh, only white people do that. Or only, you know, this type of people do it. And it's like, or we can all do it because it is camping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we can all camp and belong and it doesn't have an ethnicity. So I think you're, get, I mean, you're getting into this. So there's a few things that I love about that. One is, especially for me, like public lands. You know, public lands are lands that I, you know, in idealism, the way they're created, they belong to the people mm-hmm. and they belong to all the people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like the, the story you're telling is just like, you know, really mobilizing that mm-hmm. because there's few spaces where um, we get to all say this is ours mm-hmm. and the wilderness is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're getting into some uh, issues of, I think, identity that are. Um, important to sort of articulate for the storytelling, mm-hmm. which is, you know, being a person of color mm-hmm. and that uh, influencing the way that you approach and experience the wilderness. And also, um, you know, for for your story together and your sort of love story that we're still working our way towards, <laughs> yeah. you know, coming together, you sort of, you know, at least maybe on the surface have sort of different identities or you sort of are very different people that maybe wouldn't be found in this story together in, in mm-hmm. certain spheres. So I don't know if you want to talk about that and in, in, in a way sort of move into how your interactions were unfolding in this trip. Well, I really wanted to point to uh, Sadiqa to tell that part of the story because from there, for me, it flows. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, her strength and her character uh, just unfolded consistently throughout our time together. And that that very belief of her belonging and her kids belonging um, created an opportunity for me to just be with a wonderful group of people and do what I do and do what I love to do out in the wilderness, which is guide and keep people safe and find a space for people to enjoy the wilderness, especially if they're out there for the first time. Now, I don't want to take care of that aspect of creating what it should be for them. So with a strong person like Sadiqa, it was clear from the first day, I could just do that job. Mm-hmm. And you can already tell Sadiqa has that energy, that kind of, you almost want to straighten your back and jump too. So <laughs> even in the first two days, you know, as we're getting to know each other, um, you know, creating a space where, where I'm able just to teach basic canoe skills before we head out into the Boundary Waters was just such a pleasant surprise for me that it was it was made so easy and so um, so experiential because the students were really on board because you were really on board mm-hmm. and then that helped me get really on board um, so it was it was kind of like that was for me the moment I started easing and feeling very comfortable and um, you know Sadika has another story about when she became comfortable with me. Well, it's not that I was uncomfortable. It was more like I was like, mm, 
I don't know about you. I don't want you to come in and be like, oh, I'm the great white hope. I'm here to save you. And I thought mm-hmm. that they were here, Steph, when I say they, um, um, were there to kind of like curate this experience, whether it um, instead of it just being really organic mm-hmm. and, and, and being natural, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like that they were like a machine sent from the man. <laughs> so this is like coming into the situation. That, yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, that's sort of a part of this, you know, one of the sort of institutional traditions that emerged was this idea of like, uh, you know, take, you know, taking kids somebody outside of an mm-hmm. inner city community usually a, a you know a white person going into taking kids of color mm-hmm. into the wilderness to show them how great it is yeah and so you have that perception because that's a history mm-hmm. and so you're both really aware of that right mm-hmm. yes. thankfully but, yeah but that's a dynamic here yes. yeah well i didn't know that they were aware of it um in the beginning i didn't know steph was aware of it so, I was, I'm, and I remained very aware very, of my white identity. Yeah. And and so I didn't know that Steph was aware of it. And so I was just kind of like, all right, I need to make sure I protect these kids. Um, but after um, Steph to- was talking about some of the work that they did um, in like Nepal and Malawi and, and um, Haiti and like all over the world, building schools, but building schools with the peoples and the communities there. So it was wasn't like I'm coming here to save you. It was like no, let's do this together. Let's enrich this community. And after that, I was like, oh, like <laughs> my my view. And this was what the second day. Second day, yeah. Like my viewpoint changed, and I was like, okay, yes, 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 yes. And then once we went out into the actual, because we spent um, like a day and a half at the base camp, and then. After that, we went into the actual Boundary Waters, went in um, in Ely. And so there's a lot of time of not, I mean, what I'm sensing is that there's time of learning the skills and mm-hmm. get and getting comfortable with the terrain and the environment, but also with each other. And yeah. that's the group in a new space. It's the two of you mm-hmm. as co-guides in a new space. Mm-hmm. And then you're emerging, you know, you're just sort of plunging in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We go in and then from there it was just, it was fun and it was easy. And then, and I was single and, (laughs) (laughs) and I was not looking for anyone at the time. Really. I was like, all right, I've been single for a while. I'm doing my own thing in life. And then here comes Steph, like someone that I did not expect in any way shape or form and i just can't stop growing feelings for them i don't know it just it just kind of happened i just wanted to know them and know more about them but more than just like you're an interesting person there was just something more there you know and we're together for 24 hours out of the day you know it was Mm -hmm. A pretty powerful way to get to know a person. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's intense. And, <laughs> and this other aspect coming from my end, I wasn't looking for a relationship either, and wasn't fully. I mean, I came into Minnesota. I had. I'm. I've been living in New York City the last ten years. I have my stereotypes, having grown up in Oklahoma, of how. You know, I was just going to come in and out of this experience. Didn't want to stay. Didn't want to really get to know the vibe. Already had my stereotype that people weren't as progressive. Um, and so when Sadika uses they and them always, um, 
she's using my identity, which is gender nonconforming, which in many parts outside of, or even within New York City, are it's difficult for people to honor those uh, gender pronouns. And f- right off the top, Sadiqa's asking me, what are my pronouns? And using them correctly, treating me so well, now I know why it was so kindly. <laughs> a lot of it was flirting. Um, <laughs> and, but, but you at were, appropriate y- moments, mind you, I still was, you know, really great at my job. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> we, we definitely did our job the whole time. I was just thinking, though, that Sadiqa really opened up a lot of space for me to kind of breathe and just be there in another way. So you're out in this boundary waters, you know, People from all over the country have heard about this. They come into Minnesota for this or they live here for this kind of experience. And um, I get to fully embrace that as me with really kind, beautiful people. The way I relate to this, you know, when you feel fully yourself. Mm. And that's one of the things that I love about the wilderness Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is a space where I'm not around all the images and I'm not around all the messages. Like I'm in a space where it's me. Mm-hmm. And, and Joe and I talk about this idea on the episode that what the only thing the wilderness reflects back at you is what you're bringing to it. Oh yeah. And yeah. And so when, mm-hmm. and, and you're both bringing these things, mm-hmm. right. And your the, the feeling, and I'm sure your, um, your youth felt this too, is mm-hmm. just a full ability to be, me mm-hmm. and yes. you're creating that space together because mm-hmm. it's not just the wilderness you're with you're mm-hmm. with other people right and and that's what's happening and and i'm glad you said that because that's those are two things that were um well important to me and that drew me to steph as well was one one thing was that i taught the kids i was like look you don't have your phones, you don't have this, you don't have your parents, you don't have all these things that are basically going to make you um, feel comfortable in the sense of this is what you're used to in your life. You can go to your room, you can go to the refrigerator, you can go get this, you can go to the mall, you don't have any of that. So what you need to focus on is what you do have Mm -hmm. and this experience and what it is giving to you. And so that's what's going to make this very like enriching and and just um, really a beautiful moment because in the beginning when I my first time to the boundary waters like the second day I was like oh why am I here I just want a burger and a beer (laughs) in my bed and that's it but then I just focused on all the things I have and what I'm experiencing and know that I can't get this anywhere else I literally can't get this anywhere else Mm -hmm. and then the other thing is another thing about me not only am I African-American I'm a woman here in the boundary waters too which I didn't see any of those things while I was there but I'm Muslim and what I loved about Steph um, was that I was like, look, I need my own tent because I have to pray. You know, we pray five times a day and I'll need to pray, like go into my tent. And right off top, off top, Steph was like, "Okay, yeah, what religion are you Muslim? Oh, okay, that's cool. And, you know, and they even like found East for me every night, (laughs) which was every campsite. All right. Unload. Sadiqa, that's East. Sadiqa, that's North, because I was really hoping to see the Northern Lights. Uh, Did you? No. I don't think they come out that early, even though I kept kept being told that they were going to come out while we were there. But anyways, 
But it was just a beautiful thing that I was accepted 100%. Like you said, I could be me 100% there and be accepted by everyone and not judged or anything. It was it was amazing. And then I was like, yes, this one's a keeper. <laughs> yeah, we would have really great paddle days, too, where uh, we would get the kids together, um, like kind of like a brigade and just have these deep conversations, mm -hmm. uh, point out different uh, animals that we would see. And, um, you know, pulling out the maps, the kids really got into navigating. Um, that was beautiful to see and how we were able to kind of look at the map together and say, hey, um, option A, we go around all these islands, we go up to Canada and come back down, no portaging. Or we go through these we do about 90 rods here, 110 rods here, and we get to have a layover day. What do y'all want to do? And just seeing them excited to choose that own, their own adventure, mm -hmm. we ended up on an island we renamed Obama Island. It was Washington Island. Yeah, but the kids... <laughs> a great island. The kids wanted to name it Obama Island, so we let them do that. And um, that was where I t uh, told Steph to teach me how to make a fire. And they taught me how to make a fire, which that is not what I was asking. I was really saying, hey, let me get to know you and see um, if you're available, <laughs> if something can happen here. Mm -hmm. But they Little really... underlying intentions. Right. They yeah. they did their job. I'm like, what? What are you doing? Stop teaching me how to... T like, stay here. Stop getting would <laughs> talk to me but i did like how even now because we're together now if you haven't noticed um <laughs> even then we will uh suddenly come up with the same song the other person mm -hmm. thinks they'll start singing so when i was explaining about the fire and i said it needs a little air we <laughs> both start singing jordan sparks how i'm supposed to breathe with no air <laughs> so we would do stuff like that a lot on this trip and it was very clear we would stand in the water watching the kids play in the water and just talk about all the shows we used to watch as teenagers and mm -hmm. just jive on our youth and um, yeah. see a lot of the similarities. Um, yeah. And Sadiqa's respect for God is also very near and dear to me because of my respect for God mm -hmm. as a Christian. And so I... And I am an ordained um, reverend. <laughs> You know, yes. I thought I had gotten all the surprises out of the way before we started, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I was ordained in New York City in, in 2016. So your story's just, I mean, so it's its a, a story that I think we all can relate to in regards to like, yeah, the willingness and love, you know, and, and it's mm -hmm. powerful. And like, yeah, you really get to be raw with other people. And then there's this other element of like, wow, you know, all these perceived very different um, uh, orientations mm -hmm. to, to the world or ways of seeing or interpreting. And what I think is so powerful about your story, and, you know, and I sort of wonder, like, well, what if this meeting happened outside of the wilderness? Oh, you know, yeah. how would they have gone? And, and what, you know, the there was something magical about being the coming together in that place and mm -hmm. having that space mm -hmm. that sort of allowed you to just sort of settle into. Yeah. We were, yeah. we've talked about this we were so just many talking times. About we were talking this about this at this lunch today. today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We what, were was it the lunch. wilderness? Yeah. Because I was just thinking, I mean, oh. 
for me personally, um, I was thinking if we had met anywhere else, I don't think it would have worked out. And I say that because, like I said, Steph wasn't who I thought I wanted to be with. I've only been in straight relationships as well. Bum, bum, bum. Spoiler alert. We're queer folks. Um, but, <laughs> but I have never been in like a queer relationship whatsoever beforehand. And so, again, I was not looking for this person who's like basically the opposite of me. Um um, or opposite of what I've ever had in life. Um, um, and so, and that was another struggle in our relationship. Like when we were at the end of the trip and we all went back down to Minneapolis and they were um, flying out of um, the Minneapolis airport, I just had this, I felt so sad after they left mm. after Steph left I felt yeah. so sad and I was like in my mind I've never felt like this for someone and I said what are you doing like calm down You're, it's it's just relax okay you just met this person yeah you've been with them for literally about 10 days 24 hours a day but calm down and I felt so sad after they left and I just really missed them. And then, but another part of me was like, you're, you can't feel this way because it's against your religion. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that's, that was difficult. And I don't know, but I just love them so much. And I fell in love with them, not in the boundary waters, folks. I know it takes a longer time, but, <laughs> but, or not, I guess that's really for anybody up to, but I mean, now, you know, I'm so much in love with them. I feel healthy. I feel good, um, positive. I feel full. Like, I don't feel drained um, with being in this relationship with them. I'm having fun. And, yeah, I don't know. That's mm. and, and I just think that if we had met anywhere else in the Boundary Waters, we wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. I really think I would have just walked away and said, no, I can't do that. Guess my religion. I'm walking away, even if I feel this way about them. Mm -hmm. But I think it was that connection in the Boundary Waters and also connecting with them on something that they do in love and mm -hmm. that they're an expert in as mm -hmm. well. Well, that's the that was the magic for me, honestly, um, having somebody look and see me for who I am in the space that I feel most alive and comfortable um, which is always interesting, right? You, we talk about identities in the wilderness. And then in my line of work, I am just now starting to see a flourish of people who identify as LGBTQ um, right. becoming part of companies. Like now I work for Outward Bound and we have a more open space where it's not just me anymore. And then an acceptance by um, people of color in that space as well. Like I didn't know that that would be a space for me. I always kind of wonder which part of my identity will I have to hide this time just to enjoy what I love. And so um, it just made the experience all that better because uh, historically, whenever I go out into the wilderness, I let it kind of heal me in so many different ways and never really share that, never really get to fully unload that with other people. And yet this experience helped me uh, supported me and uplifted me and said, you know what, this, this is, this is definitely a change of times. This is definitely a new experience. Um, and from each Island we went to each canoe day, what we, you know, surpassed, it was just amazing. And, um, 
You know that feeling when you suddenly realize you had fun all day mm-hmm. and it wasn't work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was how I felt every single day. Like I wasn't working. I was enjoying my time with people, uh, canoeing. And, oh, those kids were so good at portaging too. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were really, really into it and and i made sure we stayed under 100 rods folks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were still able to manage because that was a criteria that you had had in your trip planning right <laughs> yes. that like we let's keep these our portages under 100 rods that's a yeah. compromise versus no portaging okay under 100 rods mm-hmm. you you accomplished that yes. yeah and so much more yeah and a heck of a layover day yeah where we ended was... up really connecting it was so wonderful and it was really great and and everyone just really enjoyed it swim all day and and um and you know talk about being your true self in the wilderness i mean we're together there's no showers there's no deodorant mm-hmm. <laughs> there's yeah. just really you bear just there and and i was like well if you still think i'm cute after not showering for about 10 days <laughs> so let me, I'm going to, I'm curious. So, you know, obviously a lot happens. Your relationship sort of unfolded. Mm-hmm. You're, you're together now. Yes. Um, and, you know, from all indications <laughs> that's going well. Uh, have you been back in the Boundary Waters or Quetico? Have you been back in, in that wilderness setting together again? No. Well, this past weekend. <sighs> It's kind of, um, not on a full paddle trip, but we did go stay, um, on McFarland Lake this past few days for July 4th. Mm -hmm. And now we're here in Grand Marais. So we're at the edge of it. Yes, you are. Yeah, but not exactly the same as not the same. We're hoping, I mean, well, Steph is gone a lot, um, with, uh, with their job, um, doing a bunch of like hiking and canoeing and what and rock climbing, rock climbing. So, you know, and this is the busy time, you Mm -hmm. know, during the summer. And then I just started working at the Guthrie theater myself, um, as well. So, and we're busy in summer camps, but I'm hoping we'll find some time, um, it would be great to go back into yeah. just, and it'll be just us. So I think that would be just a really wonderful and beautiful thing. And Steph said I can be there bow any day. Yeah. Mm. I have a very strong power forward. Yeah. <laughs> power forward. <laughs> Stroke here. You're, really, you're a really good paddler. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think that's the most perfect uh, note to end on. I want, would love to talk with you again after your reunion tour yeah. in uh, Boundary Waters and hear how uh, how you experience yourselves and each other again mm-hmm. uh, on this next time around. But more than anything, I want to, th- I really want to thank you both for sharing your stories, um, for sharing yourselves mm-hmm. with our um, podcast listeners. I. I think it's a story that um, is powerful and I hope it inspires everybody that's listening as much as it's inspired me. Um, I'm really grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hi, I'm Maura. I am Jack. I'm Rowan. And I'm Bobby from We Found Adventure. 
When adventuring into the BWCA with our two young children along, we need a canoe that is safe and stable, even when loaded down with extra gear. Like our baby's pack and play and a week's worth of snacks for all of us. Seriously, nobody wants to deal with a hangry toddler. North Star Canoes Northwind 20 is a perfect fit for our family. The added cargo space and fourth seat means every member of our family has somewhere to sit while still leaving plenty of room for our gear. It steers like a much shorter canoe, and we found it to be equally at home whether we're paddling a local lake or river, or for extended trips into the wilderness. North Star Canoes, helping you share wonder with your family and proud to support the BWCA and this Boundary Waters podcast on WTIP, online at northstarcanoes.com. Well told, Mr. Matthew Baxley. I'm so glad that... um, they were able to come to Grand Marais to connect, uh, follow up after you met them at the Midwest Mountaineering Expo, which has been a while now. And um, so it's just great that we were able to follow through and make that story happen because it's it's just a, it's a love story, basically. Yeah. One of the things that I appreciate most about that story is that it sort of, for me at least, reminds me of how diverse and complex people are and in a really exciting way and that and that you know people that you may meet out in the wilderness uh, or anywhere for that matter as I did at Midwest Mountaineering have their own unique stories and I love listening to it um, in the same way that uh, Douglas Wood has his own very unique story that we're about to hear. Listeners, today we are joined by award-winning author, um, musician, um, children's author, and wilderness guide, as well as a mentee of Sigurd Olson, um, Mr. Douglas Wood. Doug, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing just fine, Chelsea, and nice to talk to you. <laughs> nice to talk to you, too. So I've gotten a bit of a glimpse of um, of your perspective on the North Woods through your memoir, Deep Woods, Wild Waters. But um, for those listeners who aren't as familiar, could you describe your connection to the Boundary Waters or maybe more broadly, as Mr. Olson would put it, the, the Superior Quetico? Mm-hmm. Um, when I was seven years old, my, my family first brought me up north. And my grandparents, uh, Doris and uh, Blanche Wilton, had been coming up north from southern Illinois since the 1930s with a little time off during World War II when people weren't doing so much. And then uh, my uh, parents had come up with them in the 40s. And then I and my brother were born, and so uh, it was around 1957 or 58 that I got to make my first trip uh, up north with my parents and grandparents, and that was to a lake called Lake Cabotogama. And Lake Cabotogama is over here in Voyagers National Park and uh, just south of Rainy Lake. So that was my growing up lake. Every summer we would go there. I didn't get to experience the Boundary Waters wilderness until I was growing up. I think I was 25 when I got to take my first canoe trip. So I grew up with, with boats fishing boats on big lakes, and it was in my mid-twenties that a friend and I, um, actually my first trip was, was not in the Boundary Waters, was in the, in the uh, Turtle River country west of Atacokan, out in the bush. Yeah. So I did a trip there with a good friend, <clears throat> excuse me, and then soon after that, 
my first trip to the Boundary Waters, and soon after that, trips into Quetico, and there have been many, many, many dozens of trips since then. Oh wow, that's wonderful! So your your experience with the Boundary Waters, you you're very well acquainted. <laughs> very very well acquainted. As time went by, I I worked with a uh, with a nature center called the Audubon Center of the North Woods, and that's down near Sandstone, Minnesota. And every summer they would lead some trips into the Boundary Waters. So I went along on several of those, and then as I learned more and 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 really. Um, spend a lot of time um, reading and studying and trying to learn more about the North Country that I that I had loved since I was seven years old, but didn't really know as much about it as I wanted to. So I needed to study geology and forestry and plants and animals and critters, and I did all of that on my own. And eventually I began guiding wilderness trips for the Audubon Center of the North Woods, for the Smithsonian Institute, for the National Wildlife Federation, for uh, Science Museum of Minnesota, Variety wide variety of organizations over the years. So so the, the trips that I enjoyed so much, uh, first with my family and, and later uh, with, with other people, uh, eventually I had the chance to start doing my own guiding, and, and that was when the uh, love affair really blossomed because I could share all the things that I loved with other people and, and, and try and teach them about the country I loved so much. Wonderful. Wow. So... Doug, um, I first found out about your work, actually, of all places, through Facebook. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I follow a lot of canoe and, and wilderness pages, and one of the suggestions was, was your page. And I remember very vividly my first time reading um, a post about the Church of the Pines. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just, I really felt like your voice was very clear and I could really hear your perspective and love of the natural world. So I was wondering, could you maybe explain the concept of the Church of the Pines? Mm-hmm, sure. Um, so right now you are, you and I are talking on the phone and I'm on my cell phone on our island in Rainy Lake. And that island is called Fawn Island. And one of my books is entitled Fawn Island, all about this, this place. But when we're not here, our regular home is down uh, 250 miles south here on the Mississippi River, and we live in another cabin there. So we have these two log cabin places, and that log cabin is on a, a pine-covered peninsula called Pine Point, about 15 miles north of St. Cloud, and it's kind of the southernmost reach of big pines uh, that I know of in that part of Minnesota. So we live in a log cabin there that was built in about 1932. And somewhere along the way, I just started thinking of that space, uh, especially on Sunday mornings, I started thinking of that space as the church in the pines, because the pines vault overhead like the high ceilings of a cathedral, and the sun comes down through the boughs, through these, in the boughs in these beautiful sunbeams, like, like through, a, through the, uh, the, the plate, the colored glass windows. What am I trying to say? The, Oh, the yeah, the stained glass windows? The stained glass windows of a cathedral. And then we have, like, aisles down through the pines. And, mm. of course, we have a church choir. The church choir is up in the in the green loft. And we have uh, chickadees and nuthatches and goldfinches. We have a star soloist with the choir. That's Sparky the Cardinal. He's mm-hmm. very proud of his beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. And so every almost every Sunday I will put a post to all our friends from the Church in the Pines and talk about what's going on there. 
each week. And of course, each week, different times of year, different things are going on. So that's that's what you discovered. That's the Church of the Pines. Yeah, that's that's so neat. That's such a really cool way to think about about church, really. Um, one of my friends recently, um, he said, you know, the Boundary Waters are my church. I think of the Boundary Waters that way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, w- I have to agree with you. I, I feel like for me, a, a huge draw is just that, that sense of, of peace that, that it exists there. Um, yes, there is that. And, and I really like our congregation too. We have, you know, we have a very um, eclectic, varied congregation. We have the furred members of the congregation and the feathered members of the congregation. And everybody seems to, to speak different languages um, yet they seem to understand one another. If we pay close attention, we seem to understand one another pretty well. I'm kind of the caretaker of the church. I'm, I'm not the preacher. I, I listen to the preachers in the woods, but I'm, I'm the caretaker of the grounds, along with my wife, Kathy. But our congregation sets a good example of being tolerant, and and everyone is included, everyone is invited, nobody's left out because they're the wrong color of feathers or because they don't speak the right languages or because they came from the wrong place or any of those things. So I like our church. You know, since you brought up, brought up the congregation, um, that kind of reminds me of, of your story, Old Turtle, and also Old Turtle and the Broken Truth. Um, so could you could you talk a little bit about those books as well, and maybe what was your inspiration for writing those? Sure. Um, well, I've written 38 books now, and many people know me from my adult essays, things like Deepwoods, Wild Waters, and Fawn Island, but more people probably know me from my children's books, and and among my all my books, probably the most well-known is a book called Old Turtle, and that was also my very first book, and it's about a wise old turtle who uh, tries to remind—there's a great argument going on in the world uh, when, when, when the book begins, and uh, all the different beings and, and uh, creatures of the world are arguing about who and what and where God is and isn't, mm-hmm. and who knows about God and who does not, and all these kinds of things, very similar to the arguments that, that human beings have all around the world. But in this case, I chose uh, the metaphor of the of the creatures of the world having the argument. And then at one point, old turtle comes along, and turtles don't say very much. So if you hear one talking, you should stop and pay attention. And old turtle simply says, stop, in a voice that sounds as loud as thunder and as soft as butterfly sneezes. Yeah. <laughs> and then old turtle goes on to explain to the different beings and creatures of the world that, that they're all right, and they're all wrong. God is, is within all of them, within all of us, and above us, and within us, and around us. And nobody gets to have the right to say that God is just exactly like the way that I think he is, or you think he is. So essentially, that's the message. And then she also says, if we really pay attention, um, like the island down here on the, on the earth, which thinks it's separate, is really not separate. It's connected to everything, to the waters around it and the sky around it and, and to, the, to the ocean floor, the lake floor beneath. We're all connected like that. And the star that seems far away from everything is not really far away. Its light touches us all the way from outer space. Mm-hmm. So she, she uh, points out to the different beings of the world that we can learn from God, learn about God from one another from your perspective and my perspective and her perspective of, of the star and of the ant and of the island and of the waterfall and of the fish and all the different beings. So that's kind of the story of Old Turtle. And it did 
very well and, and sold um, a million plus copies and got translated into many languages. So, so they let me write more books, and <laughs> and eventually I wrote two more Old Turtle books. And uh, one of them you mentioned is Old Turtle um, and the Broken Truth about a little girl who goes on a very long journey to find Old Turtle. And then the most recent one from two years ago was Old Turtle Questions of the Heart. So right now, Old, Old Turtle is a, is a trilogy. And whether it ever becomes a quadrology, if there is such a thing, um, we don't know yet. Might happen. Might happen. That's wonderful. Um, yes, and, and in these in these stories of Old Turtle, I um, one thing I was wondering is, so... Um, there's there's sort of this um, Ojibwe idea. Uh, my grandmother is Ojibwe, Anishinaabe, and mm-hmm. that um, North America it's sort of the shape of a turtle, um, and it was called Turtle Island. So I was mm-hmm. wondering, was um, was the metaphor of Old Turtle more that he um, that turtles, like you said, don't speak very often, but often those <laughs> who <laughs> who don't speak often listen very loudly. Or um, were you thinking at all about the the North American turtle sort of idea? Yes, both. Both of those things and, and more. There are turtle legends from all around the world, actually. And in most of the turtle legends, the turtle is a very humble, oftentimes old, uh, very earthy creature. If you ever actually see an old turtle in the water or on land, oftentimes there's algae or moss growing on their shells. They're part of the earth. They move very slowly. They're not fancy. They're they're not flamboyant. As I wrote the story, I thought, well, who should I make the hero? Hmm. The eagles are pretty cool, and maybe the wolf. Um, wolves are, you know, pe- people like wolves. But I thought, no, I think we want someone like like I just described, someone close to the earth and humble and old. And the turtles seem like just the right, just the right choice. And and I was am familiar with the. With the Turtle Island legends, and and they're not particular only to the Anishinaabe, but people mm. people that that is a Pan Indian um, story, pretty much from one coast to the other. This story of Turtle Island. There's a there's a, a Cheyenne version of the story I'm particularly fond of that I had that I had told many times around the campfire. So as this story came to me, um, I was familiar with with Turtle legends from around the world, and particularly. Our, our own North American turtle legend, the most important one to us. So all those things entered into that. Yes, it's a, that was a very good guess on your part. <laughs> <laughs> well, very, very interesting. I, I loved those books and and the also the illustrations as well. And I find it so interesting that, um, you know, we there's kind of this external internal loop where lots of times those of us who who love nature we find and are and are artistic um, and creative um, as a lot of us and I think we're all born that way are mm-hmm. um, is that we we go into nature and we feel this inspiration um, and then you know it's internal it becomes internalized and then we try to find ways to externalize it and mm-hmm. and in your case you've um, you've used several different media and including music and I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about um, your musical life and career. Um, in particular, I um, I listened to one of the songs, I believe you composed it, um, in your tribute to Sig Olsen called the title track of the album Solitary Shores. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your inspiration for that album and maybe in particular that song. Well, um, a few minutes ago when we started, you, you asked me to talk about the inspiration for Old Turtle, and and I forgot to mention that 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 book came as an accident. I wasn't planning to write a book or a book about a turtle or any book at all or a children's book. I was visiting a school and I was visiting a school in Owatonna, Minnesota as a musician. And I brought my guitar and I sang my earth songs, which is what I called them and still call them. And so I visited with students all that day and, and sang about, about uh, vanishing species and whales and rainforests and oceans and and we talked about all these things as well, and the children made up a song. And then as I drove away from the school in the late afternoon, I heard I heard the words, the opening words of Old Turtle in my head. Mm. And so uh, I, I found a place to sit down, and I wrote the book in about a half an hour. Wow. And, uh, which is it's nice. It's nice when that happens, because yeah. it's never happened again. <laughs> so I keep waiting for it to happen again, and it hasn't. <laughs> but that one, that book that sold over a million copies, took a half an hour to write. And and it was, as I said, an accident, and it almost came like a song, like songwriting. The lyrics, the words of the story came very quickly. But before then, that's, that was what I did. I wrote songs, and I still do. And, and um, I've traveled all over the country singing at national parks and state parks and theaters and colleges and schools doing my earth songs. But at, at that time, I had been doing it for, uh, I don't remember how long it was, 15 years. And the life of an itinerant musician can be difficult sometimes. So when the book became successful, it allowed me to not have to worry about making my living as a musician anymore. And that, that was kind of nice. I needed a break. So kind of put my music aside for a while and, and got recharged. And nowadays, I, I enjoy doing both very much again, uh, music and and the books, so it's a, it's a kind of a multifaceted career. I also do the drawings and the artwork for my books, and, and I do a lot of public speaking, so all these things are, are part, part of it. But as far as the music goes, one of my favorite um, albums that I did over the years was the one you mentioned. It's called uh, Solitary Shores, and it is dedicated to, to my hero, my early mentor, Sigurd Olsen. And um, every song in, in that album it feels like it's from or about the Northwoods, which which they are, and some of them have lyrics and and are singing songs that I that I sing, and others are just instrumentals. And the one you mentioned, Solitary Shores, is a, is a piano piano piece that uh, again it just came very naturally and and um, and felt like 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 it came almost like it was already written, and I just had to kind of play it. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So it was, yeah, I, I, I hear that. I heard that upon listening to it. I, one thing that really struck me was, um, I felt like there was a lot of tone painting going on, um, in Mm. terms of, yeah, in terms of just like, you could visualize the idea, the ideas like the wind blowing in the breeze or maybe a trickle of, of the rivers. Um, Mm -hmm. and also sort of the rubato, the stretching and, and, um, and in increasing of the tempo. And um, I think it's so interesting. I love music with vibrato, um, not that steady beat as much, um, mm-hmm. just because it seems like it really comes from, from your heart and, and from um, what you're internalizing. So, Well, those are, those are very good observations. I thank you for that. You've obviously listened 
closely and you and you know what you're listening to um the um that particular piece solitary shores takes place i'm describing or i describe in the liner notes of the album that that it just felt completely right uh our ight after i'd written it um and and i i combined the music the piano music with uh the sound of waves washing on a shore and the crying of gulls and it feels very um every time I listen to it myself which isn't that often it just feels very peaceful and kind of makes you feel at home on the earth and if people get that when they're listening to it then I'm glad yeah definitely I, I definitely got that so so thank you mm-hmm. um, Doug I'm just going to take a, a brief pause I'm going to write down this time um, so I think that the levels um, are a little bit, I'm a lot quieter than, than you. I was wondering if you could maybe um, move the phone a little bit farther from um, where you're talking there. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, sorry to, to interrupt. Um, well, how, how's this? Is this any better? Yeah. I think that's a little better. Yeah. Okay. I'll hold it just like that. Okay. Thank you. Um, are you, are you going to be able to go back and do a little bit of adjusting on the levels? Yeah, I, I, okay. I believe so. Yeah. I hope it works. Me too. Yep. Um, well, lovely. So getting back to the interview, um, let's see. So I, I think I just have one more question I'd really like to ask you. Um, I feel like we've spoken a lot about the effects of nature on the human spirit and and the effect it's had on you and um, the way it's influenced your work so I was wondering um, in closing today could you maybe describe a time that stands out um, that while you were in the wilderness you felt like you had a connection to something greater than yourself well that's a really good question and it's particularly pertinent I think to the way that I write and the way that I live, because that's what I'm always looking for. Um, I don't go into the natural world to find things that are cute or that are scenic or pretty or, you know, all those things happen. And adventures as well. I love having adventures. Mm. But that's really not the attraction for me. The attraction is, is to learn something about life and to learn something about myself and to learn something about how I am connected to the greater world and how we all are connected to one another and to the natural world around us and the natural world that we are a part of. Mm. And so you'll find that most of my writing, whether it's even children's books like Old Turtle or adult books like Deep Woods Wild Waters, the essays and the stories keep coming back to that theme, uh, the connection between the wilderness or the natural world and the human spirit, as you, as you put it so well. And, and if, we, if we don't feel that connection and find that connection, I fear that we won't do a very good job of, number one, living a human life and living our best life, um, living the life that we're meant to live. And we also won't do a very good job of taking care of the natural world that we're a part of, uh, from, from monarch butterflies to, to, uh, to whooping cranes to to the waters of the boundary waters itself, to the forests, to the oceans and the disappearing coral reefs. It's, there are crises all around us related to, to, to a changing climate and to, and to other ways that we have um, neglected to understand our connections 
to the natural world, and those connections are, are profound. So in all my writing, I, I guess even if I'm not consciously trying to do so, I think that that is the theme that gets repeated over and over again, the, the, the depth and importance of our connections to the wilderness and the natural world. And, and by the way, when we use the word wilderness, the word wilderness, which I'm very fond of and I use frequently, mm. it's important to remember that for most of our lifespan as a human species on this planet, wilderness was just the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the world around us was wilderness. And that's the world we come from. That's the world that we evolved from and are still a part of. So understanding the wilderness, understanding a place in nature where where mankind, humankind, is not in charge, but is part of the world around him and around us, uh, I think that's that's important in that message. Uh, you know, some people are not fond of message-driven writing, um, but I find I'm not able to, to write any other way. That message keeps finding it finding its way into my writing over and over again. Well, Doug, um, I've really, really enjoyed the way you've put that message. And um, for those of for those listeners listening to the podcast today, I would really highly recommend um, Old Turtle, the the trilogy, and as well um, Doug's memoir deep woods wild waters um it's just it puts you in that mind frame of of how i feel when i'm in the boundary waters so um on times when i can't be there it was it was wonderful to get to pick up the book and and sort of live vicariously and doug i really appreciate you taking the time to to speak with me today and share your inspirations for your work and your perspective on the wilderness well i have enjoyed talking with you chelsea and thanks for Thanks for your interest, and, and, and thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it. Awesome, of course. Well, you have a, a lovely rest of your weekend at, at Bon Island, Doug. I will. I think I'll go down and fish off the dock with my grandchildren now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, I will let you do that. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, well... Thanks to Chelsea uh, for that excellent interview. It's so nice to have Chelsea on the podcast, Matthew. I think we're really now starting to see some of the diversity range of her interests and interviews and uh, clearly her passion for, you know, the Northwoods and and music, I think, is also coming through uh, pretty, pretty clearly here to our listeners, we hope. Yeah, it's always great to add another voice, uh, just like the episode today added, you know, three new voices to our conversations about the wilderness. Um, you know, we get to hear these voices all the time through our phone calls and conversations uh, off the air, through the emails that we get from our listeners. I mean, we get to hear some amazing stories, including a recent email we got from a guy named Mike. And, you know, we, we get these emails all the time, and I don't know why we don't share more of them, and I think we should start, mm-hmm. because some of these stories are great. Um, Is this the tent that blew into the lake? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, With that huge walleye that he's holding, too? Giant walleye. Damn. I don't know if it's all the same trip, but Mike was on a trip 2005, 2006, around then. It was 12, 13 days long. He goes on to describe a big storm rolled in just after dinner. Three of them on the trip worked hard to make sure that their belongings didn't end up in the lake, as I think we've all been there. 
uh, but they failed. The storm came in, and to quote his email, the storm came in as we set out to fish, my dad and I, around 7 p.m. Uh, we believed that the winds were around 75 to 90 miles per hour, but the worst part was that it blew the tent into the lake with all our belongings. I'll never forget the look I got from my dad as we watched in this incredible thunderstorm. I can still picture the domed tent floating out into the lake. looked just like the Apollo capsule on Splashdown, and then it disappeared, seeming to the bottom of the lake. Oh, my gosh. We got See, these are the emails we get, Matthew, that just make us go kind of half wild because <laughs> we want to record them all. We love to hear these types of stories. Please do keep them coming, even if it you know, takes us a little bit to get back to you or um, we're you know, scheduling out a, a, a year at a time at this point, basically. So we're definitely holding on to all your emails that you send to us, and, and they mean so much to us just to see that uh, the outreach is great. Yeah, with that, yeah, with that note, keep them coming, and uh, maybe we'll even make a new tradition of reading little excerpts uh, in the podcast here, so that you can get a little bit of that amazing uh, burst of Boundary Waters the way we do. Um, and so, BWCA Podcast at Gmail dot com. Also, big thanks to our sponsors, North Star Canoes and Paragus over in Ely. Uh, you know, they're a big part of keeping this show alive and moving, just like you, our listeners, are. And Matthew Baxley, I don't know if you've got uh, your bags packed yet. You got your good sleeping bag ready for our late October trip that we'll be sharing with you here, the listeners, on episode 23. Uh, the next episode coming out, we are very excited to retrace our footsteps now with a canoe as we did our trip to Winchell Lake a couple years ago now. So we're looking forward to that. We can't wait to share that with you. You know, one thing I just want to make sure to end the episode with here, Joe, is a big thank you to you. You work so tirelessly to keep this podcast what it is and the stories and the recordings and the interviews. And I know that you even lose sleep at night sometimes because you're thinking about this podcast. And I just want to thank you for that. Hey, well, uh, absolutely. Thank, thanks for uh, saying that, Matthew. And, you know, I think I probably lose sleep more just uh, with the excitement of the whole thing. Exactly. <laughs> so, so it's a good, if it's a healthy way to lose sleep, you know, uh, I'll, I'll take it because I'm having so much fun producing this podcast. It's, it's just uh, continues to bring me so much joy and, and I love hearing these stories. Speaking of splashdowns, as that tent soars through the air and hits the lake, we go off with a... <laughs> I just sing when I paddle Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true We're gonna get through to the other side Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar Rule me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light All around the campfire light All around, all around